Hi, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, April 13. Today's edition, we're going to talk about the latest from the Arkansas Supreme Court, the much-anticipated corruption trial involving former State Senator John Woods, primary season, and maybe more. I'm joined this week by special guest, Dr. Jay Barth. Hey, Jay. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So uh, let's let's begin by talking about uh, the latest uh, from the state supreme court. It's always a a uh, favorite to- topic for the week interview podcast. Uh, in a five two decision this week, the court um, all but undid the Arkansas Whistleblower Act. This was a continuation of a, a January ruling uh, where the the court and uh, s- similar breakdown. Uh, said that the legislature couldn't waive the state's sovereign immunity. In other words, the the uh, court said the that the the legislature couldn't couldn't allow the state to be sued in special cases. Uh, this case this week involved a former employee of the Department of Correction who alleged she was fired for protesting workplace discrimination and participating in an investigation to uncover further discrimination. She'd sought relief through the Whistleblower Act, but the court said no. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously two big implications here. One on Whistleblower Act itself, I mean, which is a not inconsequential um, uh, piece of legislation that protects workers uh, who see wrong in in the workplace and uh, uh, gives them a a place to go when when it's a a state employee employer uh, but the bigger issue of course as you suggest is about this literalism when it comes to sovereign immunity is that I think some folks thought the first ruling um, back um, in January January was you know maybe okay they were going to come back with some later rulings that would begin to narrow it and uh, that expansive ruling but they seem to be doing nothing of that sort is in fact you know, this thing uh, very quickly could get really messy in terms of citizens' right to go into court on anything involving the state. And, you know, if they, we don't know where they're going to go in terms of, you know, challenging constitu- unconstitutional uh, actions by the state. This has all been statutory so far, but uh, this stuff is, is, I think, very disconcerting. We're certainly seeing the legislature. Um, activate on it a bit in terms of thinking about a, a constitutional amendment to um, to undo this uh, uh, the Supreme Court ruling, uh, series of rulings. So uh, this probably only continues the momentum. Uh, we will see if it uh, there is any effort to try to do it through the uh, petition process this year. That's a, a possibility, but you know, at a minimum, I think we're probably going to see in the uh, 2019 session a uh, an attempted fix by the the legislature, but that doesn't go on the ballot till 2020. So you could really have uh, a couple of years of of pretty uh, uh, limiting uh, limiting decisions by the Supreme Court. So this is this is pretty big. I mean, um, and nobody really saw this coming. I mean, I think that there had been some hints at it, but. I think this caught everybody off guard because it is really a big series of decisions by the Supreme Court. Uh, well, you certainly saw pushback from the dissenting justices, Joe Hart and Karen Baker. Uh, I think Baker wrote the the big dissent in the first go round, and Hart um, 
that at this time, but they they were both fired up about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it has created some um, kind of new factionalism on the court, which you know there had been a um, we had seen some hints of factionalism that was that was uh, down some different lines. Um, um, and it was, you know, I think a lot of folks were talking about the gender breakdown on the court. Um, and I think some of that probably still exists when it comes to some of the internal operations on the court. But on substance here, we are seeing a different factional divide. And, um, you know, who knows what uh, um, the uh, the degree to which this will get brought into the Supreme Court uh, campaign. I guess uh, Goodson did not participate in the first case, right? Right. And, and she did this one, though. But she did on this one and went with the majority, and, and she's up for re-election this year. So it could become a... You know, it, it gets difficult for Supreme Court justices because of the code of conduct to, the, in, in those races to talk about substance, but certainly some outside groups could uh, try to bring some of these issues in. And I think that a lot of folks who fight for the little guy are really worried because this is the one place where, you know, the disempowered have had a place to go, uh, whether it was about minimum wage or whistleblower or some of these things. Uh, this is going to be, uh, you know, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. It could uh, factor into the medical marijuana case as Indeed. well. Yeah, exactly. And that's, of course, the case that's uh, coming up via uh, Wendell Griffin's uh, circuit court ruling where he has shut down that uh, um, that scoring process uh, for the uh, first off the, the, the growers, uh, but then it's having implications for the the. Uh, uh, the the, the shops that will actually sell marijuana, uh, medical marijuana, and so this has all really become a, a, a very interesting mess uh, very quickly. Yeah, well, to tie this legal soap opera in a bow, this week U.S. District Judge James Moody ruled that Judge Griffin's lawsuit against the individual justices of the Supreme Court could proceed. Uh, he dismissed the court as a whole from a suit uh, that Griffin filed last year after the court removed him from hearing all death penalty cases. The court acted after Griffin protested um, the day of or day after he'd... Um, I think it was that same day after. It was the afternoon, later later in the afternoon. That he'd ruled uh, in a case involving a, a drug manufacturer yeah. or drug supplier. Yeah, and this is the infamous uh, um, cot, uh, laying on the cot, uh, you know, kind of putting himself in the position of one of the uh, prisoners who would be killed as as a sign of protest. Though he maintains he was um, mimicking Jesus or in solidarity with Jesus or something. Yeah. Um, it was not interpreted that way by the, uh, by the Supreme Court, and I think they would have been probably agitated by his presence at all, but, but it certainly made a, a great photo that was then picked up and, and certainly elevated the case a bit. If he had just been standing out there, I don't know that it would have ever been noticed the way that uh, this, uh, this, this action was. And, um, and so, um, you know, he says this is really limiting his, his freedoms uh, uh, as, a, as a citizen and as a judge. And um, I, I'm a little surprised this, this, is, this is going forward, but at, we don't know where it'll end up, uh, but uh, obviously uh, federal courts are, will grapple with it. Um, he did have, uh, there was one older uh, drug case that was still with, with, with Judge Griffin, and it, it is, that case is proceeding. It, it did not, it certainly has banned any new cases coming uh, to him. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that'll it'll it'll be interesting to follow. We will we will keep on it. Um, so moving on, this week marked the beginning of the public corruption trial involving State Senator John Woods and Randall Shelton, who's a consultant. Uh, they are alleged by uh, U.S. attorneys to have uh, participated in a massive kickback scheme where. Uh, among others, Ecclesia College. Is that how you say it? Is he say Ecclesia? Yeah. They've been yeah. saying it incorrectly on KUAR. We need to, we need to let what them know. What are they saying? Ecclesia. I can't even say yeah, it. Yeah, it's Ecclesia. I think it's, def- yeah. it's definitely yeah. Ecclesia. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, they, the government. Al- Ecclesiastes. Right. Yes. Yes. The government alleges that uh, the then president of the college, Warren Paris III, um, paid. Shelton, who was working as a middleman, uh, kickbacks for general improvement funds that former state Senator Woods and former state representative Mike Neal passed to Ecclesia College. Um, both Paris, as of last week, and uh, Neal, as of last year, have, have pleaded guilty uh, this this case is just beginning. Uh, they did jury selection for the first couple of days of the week, and I think they've had three days maybe of testimony. It's expected to last two weeks. Um, I don't know that anything super revelatory has happened so far. We were talking about it beforehand, and my definitely my favorite thing has been Neil's recollection that he visited uh, – Woods at his apartment in Little Rock and saw that he had uh, a signed Michael Jordan poster and a signed Pete Rose baseball, I think. And it's like, ah, how how are, how are you living like this? Like, help me out. Show me your way. And that's when they got into um, this GIF scheme. Yeah. Um, the maybe most interesting thing was the uh, potential witness list that, that the defense and the prosecution laid out. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a who's who of Ar- the Arkansas Republican Party, including the, the head of the Arkansas Republican Party, uh, Doyle Webb, who's on that list. Uh, we, we don't know how many of those folks will actually get called. Um, but uh, real kudos to Doug Thompson, who uh, the uh, Northwest Arkansas um, reporter for the for the Dim Gas, who is, who is sitting in the trial every day. And this is a classic Doug Thompson story where he really just dives into every detail. Yeah. And, uh, and the... Yeah, the Mike and Neil stuff is is the was the only real action of the week, uh, but clearly uh, we got we got a lot more to come. And um, you know, I think what's what's interesting. Um, I think there were some folks who who thought that there might be an attempt. You know, that that one of these other defendants might might roll off, might end up kind of going ahead and pleading after. Uh, 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 Paris did last week, and uh, but but so far that the case is the case is proceeding, um, and uh, so I I think it's going to be a you know fascinating week to watch, uh, and I'm glad Doug's sitting up there uh, uh, watching it for us. Um, but uh, you know I th- the the question is um, do other names start to get popped into the story um, in any way? I mean they're they're a lot of rumors about others uh, who might, uh, other legislators who might get brought in either this case or the other case that's 
that's bubbling around up in Missouri, the uh, Rusty Cranford case, and uh, I think that's the the thing that everybody's watching. The uh, the federal government does have some pretty strict guidelines about di not disrupting any ongoing political campaigns, and so some of those folks, you know, that have been mentioned are in the midst of campaigns. So it's going to be, you know, I think everybody's intrigued by uh, where this uh, where this thing's going. But I think w for the public, the bigger import here is not so much who ends up f being deemed guilty, but I think it really is going to uh, show the kind of sordid side of, you know, lobbyist um, legislator behavior that um, I think uh, is pretty gross sometimes, and uh, that's what's I think has the potential to really begin to uh, go after folks' trust in um, in governmental institutions. This this could have some ramifications for uh, just kind of continuing to boil up some of this kind of mistrust in these political uh, elites. Yeah, well, let's let's stay on politics. Primary season. Uh, is here. We are in the thick of it, only uh, around five weeks to go. What are you keeping your eye on? Well, I think the big action in, in the um, in this in this uh, period um, is we're we've got some really interesting kind of Democratic primaries for the state legislature, especially in in Pulaski County and up and at least one in downtown Fayetteville. That's that's quite interesting as well. And um, you know, I think we all know that that yard signs don't vote as uh, the, one of the mantras of political consultants but you know it does definitely give you a f it's like seeing christmas lights go up you yeah. know it starts to give you uh, for those of us who who get warm fuzzies off of uh, uh elections uh it it you know it's 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 fun uh, and you make quick judgments about the people yes. who put them up yes you do uh and uh but hillcrest is there are tons of signs in hillcrest uh in uh, uh for in that state house race to replace warwick saban and in, in hillcrest uh, and it's then between uh tippy mccullough and, and ross no and it is quite a, a a sign battle up there uh downtown there's a couple of competitive democratic primaries starting to be some signs down down and down there and then up in the heights uh a competitive uh, primary up there between uh, um, Andrew Collins and Annie Depper for for the seat that Clark Tucker uh, has held, and so these you know legislators running for higher office um, is starting to create some some real, real energy with some folks who've never run before getting into the game. Um, so anyway, there's that, and then I think the thing that everybody is watching is still you know what does Jan Morgan. Uh, how much traction does she get in the in the Republican primary for governor? Um, is she in the twenties, which means that Hutchinson really doesn't have to worry as much about protecting that flank of his party moving forward? Uh, or does she does she move into the thirties or forties? And that while she probably she doesn't win, it does really create a sense that he's got to. Uh, make continued overtures to uh, to the kind of Trump populist wing of the party. So that's the big question. I think that's everybody. What everybody is most excited to see on on primary night. And then finally, um, in the second district race, the key question. I think everybody, as y'all talked about last time, last time uh, with Antoine Phillips, um, you know, Clark Tucker certainly uh, in the in the advantage position. But you know, 
is he able to win without a runoff, which is not inconsequential with three candidates who have some bases of support, even if they lack the same kind of fundraising and uh, elite support that that uh, Clark Tucker has. We saw a big fundraising haul from Tucker this week. Yeah, he raised five hundred thousand, which um, I, I I think was uh, it made a lot of national news um, in uh, in some of the political. Um, um, publications, uh, daily publications, um, it was it was impressive. I mean, that from a state, um, you know, where there is, it's not the wealthiest place in the world, uh, he, you know, racked in a lot of money. It looks like, we haven't seen the, I haven't looked at all the details, but uh, a combination of some bigger donors and then some, you know, smaller donors, uh, that combo that, you know, really starts to, to, to grow the pot pretty quickly. Uh you saw quickly after that uh, a push poll come out yes, for, yes, for Tucker that yeah. was way over the top. Yeah, yeah. And this this is going to be, and I think it's because we haven't seen much intensity in the state in a while. Uh, it still it feels kind of foreign to have this kind of you know intense uh, race, but especially in this market, uh, the fall campaign, assuming it's Clark Tucker and uh, and and French Hill is going to be, I think, just absolutely brutal um, and high energy um, and probably very close um, you know assuming Tucker gets heightened turnout in Pulaski County because of of the mayor's race and other things going on here and then the national tide can move the Democratic vote that needle up just a little bit it starts to get close uh, but you know can he get over that hurdle that's a huge question mark in a in a district that still skews Republican yeah Okay, well, uh, lots to talk about there. Let's let's move on though, and uh, do just sort of a quick grab bag on on national politics. It was a wild week. Um, we had the the Michael Cohen raid, um, the James what, Comey book, the James Comey book, um, the um, you know um, the independent the um, uh, series of of uh, you know actions by um, suggestion, news stories breaking about the independent council's um, activities, um, questions now about whether uh, uh, the, uh, um, the lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen, had listening devices or some, some uh, tapes. Please, uh, please. <laughs> it, uh, but uh, anyway, it's, you know, it's exhausting. I mean, I think that's just the, the takeaway that, that you know this era in American politics is just thoroughly exhausting, and and I think that you know um, you know Americans enjoy a little political drama. I think Americans don't enjoy nonstop political drama, and um, I think this is really uh, there is going to reach a point where um, Americans just reach a point of saying we need a change from this kind of ongoing you know just sense of of angst and and, uh, and drama, Paul, uh, Paul, Paul Ryan's uh, uh, decision not to run for re-election, uh, also another just monster story. That's the thing. I mean, there were like five monster stories this week that are, you know, kind of don't get lost, but just kind of stomp on each on 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 top of one another, and you don't really know where to pay, put your attention. Uh, but the the Paul Ryan story, I do think, is quite interesting in that we have seen other Republicans who've announced their decisions not to run for re-election really become thorns in 
um, in in Trump's side, um, Jeff Flake, uh, others who have, have done that. We don't know if Paul Ryan will do that. I mean, I think Paul Ryan is not that kind of, you know, uh, that kind of guy. Uh, but, um, and he certainly has long-term political ambitions, so he may be resistant to do it for that reason, but um, he could become a real problem uh, because he had continues to have power for the next uh, 10 months or so. Does the timing of this hurt the, the national GOP? I think it does. I mean, it's kind of we're into that that last phase of decisions about whether to run for re-election or not as, as filing season really kicks in in states across the country. Um, I think it, it you know, um, for those, it, it probably is only six or eight folks who are still on the fence about whether to run for re-election or not from the House, uh, but it may help those folks make the decision not to run. And, um, you know, uh, there is some growing sense that the action is really going to, in terms of control, is really going to be on the Senate side rather than on the House side. I think that's the, the probably the import of, uh, of this week. And then his, his fundraising, right? Yeah, you lose yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, there are still, you know, uh, messages to, to be sent about, you know, Nancy Pelosi's taking over. I mean, in somewhat weird ways, um, the likelihood of, of Pelosi becoming speaker again does heighten Republican uh, uh, fundraising efforts uh, in that they can kind of scare up that uh, her her being a, a boogie woman uh, as a, as a San Francisco liberal. Um, so we'll we'll definitely you know continue. They're not given up, but I do think that uh, that Paul Ryan has been a a real. Uh, uh, effective fundraiser uh, for the party, big leader for the party, and and they're in some trouble. Are you Pelosi forever, or do you think it's time for her to step aside? No, I think I, I wrote a column of, oh, okay. about four or five months ago. Lindsay, you don't remember every <laughs> column I've ever written? Um, no, I did write a column that man, I got I got pushback on that. I got I got some. Uh, I don't usually get mean emails on things. I got some kind of mean emails about suggesting that it was time for Pelosi to go and. You know, it's nothing about it's nothing about her gender. It really is about just um, a t- certain tiredness. You know, it's just time for a change. She has been, and and probably would be again, an incredibly effective leader. I mean, I think her work on the Affordable Care Act is one of the great acts of you know uh, congressional leadership in history. Uh, but um, you know, there just reaches a point in which it's time for some new energy, some new blood, and. Uh, you know, I think I think it's out there, um, so I think I do think it's time for her to to step away. But I don't think that's going to happen uh, yeah. this year. I think she wants to be speaker again. Okay, well let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. Yeah. Did, did you bring an endorsement? I did. I did. Uh, well, first thing is it really an endorsement because it you can't go uh, can't go pick it up. But uh, I got to interview Tony Kushner, uh, uh, author of Angels in America, and all kinds of other things. Screen, the Lincoln screenplay and all kinds of cool stuff at Hendrix this week and it's just an incredibly uh, funny and charming and thoughtful and smart guy uh, great interview it's a Louisiana uh, native right right He's, well he grew up uh, he was born in New York but then quickly moved to Lake Charles Louisiana and so you know he, he and Max uh, uh, are from the same general stomping grounds and uh, but I think what was most cool is he's very critical of, of, of Trump, of course, and uh, he's uh, he's got a lot of data and a lot of information on which he grounds the, in which he grounds those criticisms. But at the end of the day, you know, one of the questions I asked him was, you know, do you remain, uh, you know, uh, confident in 
democratic liberalism as the way do we produce change. And he, you know, his response was this incredibly optimistic sense that, you know, this system is still the best system. And I think it, I think it was good for students to hear who, uh, who are pretty uh, progressive students who are still, uh, still pretty uh, uh, troubled by what's going on. And, but it's probably good for all of us to hear that, you know, the system is still worth fighting for and it still is an effective agent of change. Uh, but my my recommendations uh, for the week, I am total total sucker for cover albums, like albums on you know. And there were two released in the last ten days or so, uh, uh, Elton John cover uh, albums. You know, Elton John is on a, about a three year, four year retirement uh, yeah. trip. But uh, uh, two of them, one of them is more by pop folks. There's a uh, Lady Gaga uh, version of your song, which shows her great piano abilities. But uh, there's another one that's a country version uh, uh, that's that's quite nice, and uh, um, it's got a um, uh, Leanne Womack version of um, of uh, of Honky Cat. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. And uh, which always has a it's a fun, great song. It is a great song. Always has a. I don't know. Were you you may not be old enough. Do you remember uh, John Little John Garner? The Mm-mm. he was this. Uh, Kind of on on TV uh, salesperson. He had this uh, um, uh, appliance and lighting store down on South University, and it would always play uh, Honky Cat in the background of his of his songs of his ads in the '70s. So I always have these fond memories. Total copyright violation, but, <laughs> but uh, so I have. So different fond, days. Yeah, they were different days. So I have. Anyway, check those out. They're they're fun. Cool. Well, since you did too, I'll I'll do too quick, uh, and I'll stay on Hendrix. I, I got to go to a concert that was mostly for students and I think there were some professors but they had a few tickets for folks from the community and uh, so we snatched them up I think we were the only maybe there were like three other people that were did not appear to be Hendrix professors or students but it was the band was Bermuda Triangle and it's uh, Brittany Howard um, from Alabama Shakes it's her side project that she does with um, her two best friends they talked a lot about how they're best friends who are both singer-songwriters and have very different voices than Howard's but they just did these amazing harmonies and it was awesome to see them in a small venue because I feel like they're going to be playing next time they come through they'll play Robinson yeah. um, and, and Brittany Howard's voice is just outrageously good so that was fun, and I am only three episodes in, but I'm very hooked on a podcast that came out last year, I believe, called Atlanta Monster. I've, I'm about probably about five five episodes in. Okay, yeah. yeah so it's uh, it's a serial um, investigation into the child murders of Atlanta in the late '70s and early '80s. Um, I have gotten to the point where they arrested someone and convicted someone for it and I, th- I think that uh, the rest may be about whether he did it or not yeah and the ongoing kind of distrust that emanates in the that has been present in the black community in Atlanta as a result of that so yeah I mean race and yeah. and class and the media and police all loom large in this and it's really well done yeah. check it out Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes uh, and check out our other podcast, No Small Talk, and the conversation with Matt Price. And we're going to debut a new one uh, by Antoine Phillips next week. So check it out.
Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Lindsay. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast. podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast